This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name's Mark Vance, and glad to be with you today. Hopefully where you are is bright and sunny and beautiful. We're nearing the end of the month of November as I'm recording this, headed into Christmas, and so it's the time of year where, at least if you're a Midwesterner, you just know it's it's probably not the time you're going to spend a lot of time outside. You're going to be uh, packing it in, you're going to be watching some shows with the family indoors, you're going to be basically doing whatever you can to lessen the amount of time that your face could freeze off uh, due to cold wind, rain, you, you know, the, just the normal stuff that you're going to face over a winter in the Midwest. And it got me reflecting as I was heading into this. Uh, Chris and I were talking about a show we wanted to watch and our family wanted to watch. And I started reflecting back on just the media that I consume and that we consume as a family and how it relates to our spiritual and personal health um, in Christ. There's a phrase that you may have heard used in reference to just food, simply stated, you are what you eat. And I think that's a great phrase. It's a great principle, right? It's it's important to eat good food in order to be healthy and fit, you know? I'm I'm feeling more energetic now that I've started eating the salad. You are what you eat, you know, like not like you are literally a salad, but salads shape you. What you consume makes you, it shapes you. That's obviously true physically, but I wonder if that's not also true about what we consume in terms of entertainment, in terms of media, and that's the backdrop to what I want to talk about today. I want to challenge you to think carefully about that principle. If you are what you eat, not only physically in terms of food, but you are what you eat in terms of media and entertainment, that actually what you take in shapes you on a deeper level. Romans chapter 12 commands us to not be conformed to the pattern of the world, this worldly way of thinking that wants to squeeze us into its moral and intellectual mold. We have to actually resist that. So if that's true, how does the world try to squeeze us into that moral mold? Well, I think at least part of that involves what we consume, what we think about, what we put our mind on. I mean, that's why Romans 12 says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means what you set your mind on, you become. You are what you consume, spiritually, intellectually. See, I grew up with a deep awareness of this. I grew up in a fundamental Baptist backdrop where I learned from a very early age that playing cards were evil because they led you to want to gamble and things like that, that Smurfs were probably demonic. They were, they were bad, um, Smurfs were. Um, that movies were totally forbidden in the church that I grew up in because you need to stay unstained by the world around you, and movies were going to just corrupt you. And even if you went to a good movie, there was probably a bad one, and your neighbors might get confused about which one you were going to. Secular music was certainly off-limits. In fact, there were a lot of uh, types of music that maybe they weren't secular, but they were kind of trying to be secular, you know, like Christian rock. That I was told that rock music, there's one person that taught me this um, in my past, that rock music could kill plants. Like if you put a plant in a room alone with rock music playing, the, the plant would die. And I asked the person, I was like, well, 
you know, plants die without sunlight too. Did you put any sun in the room? And that, that you know, just was not a very positively received conversation. I'll just simply say it that way. Now, some of what I'm sharing has some, you know, I don't know, silliness and just pure, uh, very, very clear legalism inside of it, where just the goals of the Christian life became too associated with purely external forms and not internal godliness brought about by the Spirit. I, I recognize the flaw in this, but I've also been thinking though, more and more. As I moved out, you know, into my freedom in Jesus sort of stages and was able to loosen my standards and kind of rejected all of it, you know, who cares what's going on and what I consume in terms of media? It's fine. Jesus set me free. Here's what I noticed. Subtly and slowly, the things that I consumed began to shift me. The words that I heard that were crass on a screen, the things that I heard repeated on the shows that I watched, became morally more and more acceptable to me. Something began to shift to me because what we consume does shape us. And so while I reject the legalism of some of what I was brought up with, there was some wisdom embedded there that I wonder if I didn't jettison too quickly. Here's a way to think about this biblically. First Corinthians, uh, Paul gives some principles in chapter 10 about food that was sacrificed to idols. And the point that he makes is kind of historically driven. In the town of Corinth and in many towns in the Greco-Roman world, a lot of the meat that was available to purchase kind of came out of a butcher shop that was at the back of a local temple. Basically, meat would come in the front end, be offered, then butchered back up, and you would need to buy the meat from the butcher shop at the back. That meant that actually the meat you were purchasing might have been used prior in a sacrifice to a false god, to an idolatrous form of worship. And there were some people in the church at Corinth who were like, well, we can't do anything with this. This food that was sacrificed to idols, it, it's corrupted. It's not pure. It's not used in the worship of Jesus. And Paul goes and he basically makes this point in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, you can eat whatever sold in the meat mark market without any questions on the ground of conscience because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's there's nothing inherently evil about the meat itself. We know that the idol isn't anything, so therefore don't worry, you aren't just corrupted by what you eat or what you drink. So basically Paul's kind of saying, you can you can eat the meat. It's fine. The the meat itself won't corrupt you. It'd kind of be like saying, you can listen to, you know, the, the secular music. It's fine. It won't corrupt you. That was That's a true principle. But Paul says at the beginning of his thoughts in 1 Corinthians 10, here's how he opens that he's this section where he's going to basically say, you're free to do what you would want. He says it this way. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Not all things encourage you or encourage your brother or sister around you. So the principle there is Paul's going to go on and say, yeah, you're free. It's not like you're going to be condemned in Jesus. It's going to get processed in your stomach and put out. There's nothing inherently evil about the food, even though it came through an idolatrous methodology. But be aware that just because something's allowable doesn't always mean it's helpful. Just because some, something's not explicitly forbidden doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, 
Just because you can eat anything, you can consume any media and not be condemned eternally in Jesus doesn't mean that it won't shape you in a pathway that is bad. So here's the very simple kind of principle I boiled it down to. If not all things are helpful, then you should avoid things that are unhelpful. Here's a, here's a positive way to say that. Here's the principle. Whatever cultivates and grows your heart for Jesus and for holiness, you should do those things. In other words, the goal of the Christian life is not avoiding the bad. It is pursuing the beneficial. That's Paul's principle here. All things are lawful. Yeah, but not everything's helpful. That means just because something's lawful and legal for you doesn't mean it's good for you. The principle is whatever cultivates your heart for Jesus, your heart for holiness, pursue that. So here's the way to apply this to what you consume in terms of media, the shows you watch, the music you listen to, right? The podcast you follow, the YouTube channel that you're, you're consuming. Is the media you are consuming cultivating your holiness? Is it cultivating your love for Jesus and for others? Because what you consume shapes you. It fuels you. So I want you to think about that with me for a second. Think about the shows you regularly watch. You know, if you're Netflix binging, what's on your list coming up? Ask yourself some questions honestly. Is what I'm consuming leading me to laugh at and delight in something that God says he hates and condemns? I mean, guys, just look through the top list on Netflix of comedies. And just look at the jokes that are in there. We're laughing at things. We're being taught, I'll say it this way, by the world to laugh at things that God says are just sinful. They're they're eternally damnable things. We should be aware of trivializing things that are eternally painful. We should be aware that what we consume and what we watch in terms of shows often is normalizing sinful behavior. It is not a coincidence, guys. That if you look at media out there, there are far more by percentage homosexual relationships that you're going to see happening on a TV screen than you will actually see happening in real life. Why? Because the goal is to desensitize you to that which would otherwise be seen as sinful. That, that's not unintentional. So what we watch, what we consume, we're becoming because you are what you eat. So what, what are the shows you watch telling you is good, right, and pure? What would their basic message be? Ask that sometime. Okay, secondly, how about this one? The news that you would consume. Some people are like, well, news isn't a problem. I mean, that's not a deal. Okay, ask this simple question. Um, if it's lawful for you to it's lawful for you to read a whole bunch of online news sources, the question is, is it helpful? Is this fueling holiness? Or is this fueling anger, hate, and cynicism? Look in your own heart and ask, what am I becoming because of what I am consuming? Who am I becoming because of what am I am consuming? So take a look at that. I mean, an awful lot of the news that we read is it seems like, to me at least, it's like curated and designed to get you mad. And, and that's actually fairly true, by the way. Um, we know that tech companies are aware that hate and anger, those intense reactive emotions, fuel clicks way more than moderate 
you know, nice things. Solomon said at one time at Cornerstone, he said, when's the last time you heard a news report on airplane lands safely in relative calm? You're never going to hear that. You're only going to hear the sensationalized. You're only going to hear the things that are worst, but you're also only going to hear the things that provoke the highest reaction. That's a really interesting principle. So if you know that what you consume isn't producing holiness, don't consume it. Not because it's sinful, because while all, but because while all things could be lawful, not everything is beneficial. Pursue what cultivates holiness. Pursue what cultivates a love for Jesus and love for others. Okay, third question I want you to think about. This is one I've been thinking about. Just simply think of how much you consume by way of media, shows, podcasts, music. I mean, guys, we are never quiet anymore. Just, we've got things in our ears listening to music all the time. So we are, just think of what we consume or the sheer volume of what we're consuming. The medium in the media is a message in and of itself. When you are constantly bombarded with information, you don't have the quiet to process that information, to think it through, to actually use it wisely. So I think one thing we need to consider is just the sheer volume of media that we consume might be shaping us. It might be making a distract us into a distracted, not a focused people, okay? This hit home with me because a lot of what I do as a pastor is I, I need to spend time meditating, thinking deeply and carefully on the text of ancient books, you know, I need to be able to read the whole book of Romans in one sitting and hold its message in my mind clearly. And I noticed the further I went along, the more there was noise around me and never quiet, I was losing my ability to concentrate. And my ability to concentrate is critical for what I have to do. I was being shaped not so much just by what I was consuming. I was being shaped by the sheer volume of information I was consuming. I was constantly distracted, and I needed to get to quiet. I needed the ability to concentrate. Here's the last thought I have for you. So we've talked about what are the shows you watch telling you is normal? What is the news you consume fueling inside of your soul? And then this third question, is the volume of media, music, and all this stuff, do you have any space for quiet in your life, to be still and know that God is God? And then a fourth question maybe to consider would be this, have you considered the way in which the type of media you're consuming shapes you? Okay, so the type of media, this goes back to a famous, uh, basically, Neil Postman is in this vein. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote on this. That, and there's this old kind of famous phrase that says, the medium is the message. Now, that's a really interesting phrase. Marshall McLuhan first put it, put it forward, and his theory on this was that it wasn't simply the content that, that mattered, but the, the way in which the content was embedded and got to you. Okay, so it's not just simply that you need to know, you know, the news of the day of weather, you know, but that it's actually a different thing if you get that in a print form, a visual form, a, you know, pop-up on your smartphone. The medium is a part of the message. We can't divorce content from the way that it travels to us. Okay, so 
if you think about American culture, you think about the world around us, the medium is the message. We used to actually be a society where you received very, very little media and messaging. Go back a hundred years, everyone received their news in print form or by word of mouth from a trusted source. There's no such thing as like a daily TV show that you look to. As we transition from a print society to a visual society, things began to change notably. There's a famous example of um, a debate that was held. Uh, this is the, the most famous one was John F. Kennedy debating Richard Nixon, where people who listened just heard it, like radio listeners to that debate believed that Nixon had won handily. However, people who are watching it happen. Basically, Nixon was sweating bullets, looked distracted the whole time, had a frown on, while Kennedy looked pretty placid and calm, attractive. So people who watched the same exact content, the same exact words, everything, but they watched it happening, said Kennedy won, and Nixon lost. What had changed was not the content, but the medium, the means by which the message got to them. Okay? So now think of all the ways you consume. It's a different thing to actually pack up and go into a movie theater and get a a thing of popcorn versus like to binge watch multiple shows on Netflix. They create a different experience of interacting. One of them is a social experience. There's chairs around you. You're with people. You're you're generally not going alone. At Netflix, you're isolated. You're inside your home. You're, you're protected. You're curated. You might actually click and watch the thing that seems a little more racy and raunchy. By the way, this is very true. Uh, we've noticed uh, people will watch far more vile things when they're consuming them in the privacy, quote-unquote, of their own home where no one else can see them. You wouldn't walk in to a movie theater to watch that movie that you're watching alone at home because you'd know somebody might see you and they'd judge you for it. When you're hidden... And in the dark, the medium is the message. I'm, I could give a whole bunch of different examples, but this whole distraction society, when all you get your news through is social media, which is designed to be very, very fast, very small bites of information, who you are is shaped by how you consumed the information. So ask this question, what are the types of media I use? Where do I get my information? Am I ever reading a book? Am I ever sitting down to talk this slowly through with a trusted source? Or am I just basically looking up a YouTube video to explain everything in life? So the shows we watch, the news we consume, the the habits of how we consume that media and the types we use, the point is very simple. All of them are actually not just giving us information. They're forming us into certain sorts of people. You are what you eat in terms of media and entertainment. So don't be surprised if you are constantly consuming things that point you in a direction away from holiness and love of Jesus if actually you don't see your heart growing. Paul knew this. He told us this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Friends, you are what you eat. And so maybe 
my kind of fundamentalist background of restriction went too far. But I wonder if right now a lot of Christians, and I wonder a lot of times in my own life, if we're not a little bit too loose, if we're not putting our minds on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, why would we think that our hearts would be being shaped in the direction of holiness and love of Christ? So, I want you to think on that carefully. As people saved by grace, set free from sin, what is what we're consuming making us? How is it that we are what we eat? If that's true, how can we consume more and more that is pure and right and good and holy to become the sort of people who love what God loves, who hate what God hates, and who live faithfully in the world in which God has commissioned us to live? 